So we're starting a new series. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be looking at different things that are going on in society, around the world. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't take uh, a rocket scientist to look and to see how much evil is happening in the world. Um, how much darkness exists in the world. It seems as if things are getting darker and darker. A good, a good friend of mine, we were texting back and forth and uh, talking about some different things this week, and, and uh, he had shared with me that he was talking with his wife and had said, you know, I wonder if things are getting worse or if we're just hearing more about them. So it's interesting. I, I think it's both. I think we're hearing more about things that are going on in society, and I do think that things are continuing to get darker and darker. And the question is, as Christians, how do we respond to a lot of these things that are going on in the world and in society? So next week, we're going to talk about truth. What should Christians think about truth? What does the Bible say about truth? Now, it might sound like a silly question, yet there is so much division that exists within the church over truth. So what do we look at? We're going to look at the, the battle for the true gospel. Don't be deceived. Your enemy is a roaring lion. He's the deceiver. And it's looking to lead people down the wrong path. And there are people who claim to teach what the Bible says of, of being the true gospel, but aren't. They're teaching something completely different, and people are embracing that. We're going to look at the battle for the gospel. The battle for truth, the battle for the gospel. The battle against the definition of sin. And as I was thinking through this, and, and we're, we're definitely talking a little bit about spiritual warfare and some of this and some other things, I, I was trying to think, where, where do we start? Because what we could do is we could have the first sermon and it could be on truth, and that, that's, that's great. But, but let's rewind a minute and realize why we see happening in the world what's happening in the world. So today, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you probably are already there. Last year in the fall, we started with a series on being countercultural, and we looked at specific different issues in society. We talked about the sanctity of life. We talked about the environment and other things like that. It's not going to be the exact same. That's going to be a little bit different. Okay, so, so it's, it's not counterculture part two, but it is in dealing with some things that are very difficult in society today. The battle for... The battle for. Now, why do we use the word battle as Christians? Did you ever think about that before? It's because we are in a daily spiritual battle. And it's a battle against multiple things. I think sometimes we, we blame the wrong things. And, and God has given us weapons to fight this battle, right? They're not weapons of the earth, right? It's not a gun. It's not a sword. Well, Maybe it's a sword. But not what the world would think of as a sword. The battle that we're in requires us to rely wholly on God. Because alone, we cannot stand. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead... In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were dead in your sin. Now Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to believers that are there, and he's saying, hey, listen, listen, this is where you used to exist. Dead in your sin. Now the other day I was, I was walking. I was leaving my house, and uh, I was walking to, I can't remember, meet Kendall, I think. And, and I was walking down, I was walking through this development right behind mine, I was walking through the development, and there, in the middle of the road, I could see something, and it was laid out, and it was dead on the road. And as I got closer, I was like, oh, that's a mouse. There's a dead mouse on the road, that's weird. And I got closer, I was like, no, that's a rat, right? The tail being this long, and it's just dead, laying right there on the road. And I thought to myself, that's pretty gross, first of all. Um, but then this, this passage comes to mind. You were dead in your sin. What could that rat do? Could it get up? Could it move? No. It was dead. And Paul says, Listen, that's you. You were dead in your sin. There's nothing you could do on your own to be saved. It wasn't your power that saved you. You, you found yourself. You were dead in your sin. You were following the prince of the power of the air, following the course of this world. And right in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul highlights three different things. The prince of the power of the air, the enemy, the devil, Satan, the course of the world, and the flesh. You were there living in the passions of the flesh. But then he, then he says this. You were there following the world. He says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So you have this terrible situation, this, this lost state that you existed in, and then you have the two words, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God made you together alive with Christ. We're saved by God's grace through faith. Paul says, listen, your works won't save you. Listen, you're created to do good works, but your works won't save you, right? And you have to understand that it's God who saves you. But, but I, what I want to highlight today as we look at everything going on in the world, Ephesians 2 explains why we see a lot of what we see. Because people are dead in their sins. They're following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. The flesh, the world, and the devil. This morning we're not going to spend as much time talking about the world, but I, I do want to talk about the flesh 
and the devil. Those are two of the battles that we fight in this life. Both require us to rely wholly on God in order to overcome them. Both, set, both are set on things that are opposite of God. So what do we do? We're engaged in a daily battle. What does that look like? What am I supposed to do? And the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 10, 11, he says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think oftentimes we think that we're fighting a battle, but we're fighting the wrong things. We fight one another. We need to understand that the battle that we wrestle against is not flesh and blood against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the presence, darkness, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So first, I'll spend a little bit of time this morning is, is looking, at, um, looking at our enemy, looking at the schemes of the devil and the devil himself. Spiritual warfare is very real. Yet, it's not the reason for every problem that exists in our lives. The devil has real influence in the world. The uh, website Got Questions, the, the author puts this, the phrase God of this world or God of this age indicates that Satan is the, is the major influence on the ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, and views of the majority of people. His influence also encompasses the world's philosophies, education, commerce. The thoughts, ideas, speculations, and false religions of the world are under his control and have sprung from his lies and deceptions. He is the great deceiver. We cannot say that spiritual warfare is not real. It is very real. However, the devil is not omnipresent. He can only be at one place at one time. We know there are those who left heaven with him whose goal is the same, to destroy the work of the Lord. And so as we look at what's going on in the world, we realize that Satan is active in trying to complete his mission. Those who follow him are active in trying to complete their mission, which is to steal, to kill, and to destroy, to push people away from the truth of who God is. So as we talk about deception, as we talk about false gospels, as we talk about the, the difference in, in truth and things along those lines, I hope you understand that spiritual warfare is a real thing. At the same time, spiritual warfare is not something that we should blame for every problem in our lives. For example, if you said, Tony, I'm, I'm really struggling to get out of bed at 6 in the morning and get to work on time. I'd say, well, what time did you go to bed last night? And you're like, well, two in the morning because I was watching the football game and it just went really late. <laughs> and and I, it was Satan that kept telling me, hit that snooze button. No, that's, that's called the flesh and called lack of self-control. There's another battle that we fight too. It's not, we're not just waging war against Satan. We're also to wage war against the flesh, which is also contrary to God works against following God. So when I say that we have to wholly rely on God, what I want you to understand is that Paul tells us this. He says that we're to put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor. 
don't just pick up, don't just pick up the shield or put on the helmet. Make sure that you pick up the whole armor. And the question that we have to ask ourselves in this daily battle that's going on is how often do we put on the armor of God? What do you think? How often do you take time to process through that? To make sure that you're in the word, that you're seeking truth, that you're following God. We should be putting on the armor of God every single day. Now, now, you know I'm not talking about a physical body of armor, right? Can you imagine how loud it would be in here if everybody was wearing metal armor trying to sit down? Right? You reach for a little mint that's in your, in your purse in the front or in your pocket and it clink, clank, clink. But we need to put on the armor of God on a daily basis. See, just because we're saved doesn't mean that the temptation of sin goes away. We discussed that last week when Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do. The old nature will still be a struggle until one day when we're with God in glory. And we're still going to have those struggles with the flesh here on this side. Yet just because we're saved, it doesn't mean we should sin, right? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. No way. That's right. No way. You should be preaching. I tell you what, that was good. How can we who died to sin still live in it? See, what God has called us to is the opposite of the desires of the flesh. God has called us to live holy lives, to surrender fully to Christ, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross daily and to follow him. C.S. Lewis, he said this, I believe that there are too many accommodating preachers. Jesus Christ did not say, go into the world and tell the world that it is quite right. The gospel is something completely different. In fact, it is directly opposed to the world. Think about that for a minute. Let me read it one more time. Jesus Christ did not say, go into the world and tell the world that it is quite right. The gospel is something completely different. In fact, it is directly opposed to the world. So we look at what's going on around us and we see the days getting darker and we look at Ephesians chapter 2 and, and it says, well, well, yeah, people are living in the flesh. People are following the world. People are following Satan, whether they know it or not. They're following his evil direction. They believed his deception. See, the fleshly desires that people have are contrary to God's holiness. We talked about it last week. We looked at the statement in Luke 9.23. When Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Christ said to the disciples, in following me, you're going to be asked to deny yourselves. This isn't a works-based salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying. But understand that in following me, you have to say no to the flesh. That's a daily thing. And saying yes to the Spirit. He's telling them, understand the desires of the flesh are contrary to that of the kingdom. So maybe you're thinking, Tony, why are we looking at this before we talk about some of the other topics? I want you to be encouraged. So as we look at this today, what I want to do is I want to start this series off encouraging you. We'll get there in just a minute. But I want you to be encouraged in knowing the tremendous victory that's found in Christ. One who took you from being dead to being alive. I want you to realize the tremendous victory that exists. It was a couple of weeks ago. 
that uh, brother Jim Kreider called me on the phone and left a voicemail. And he said, Pastor Tony, have you listened, have you read through 2 Timothy chapter 3? And uh, so I did. I read through it. And he had mentioned about how much of that we see going on today in society. So if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 with me real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, there should be one right in front of you. Pull out your phone, whatever, to, to follow along with me. Because I want you to read through this. This is important. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Then in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. It sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? I mean, I, I could spend, we, we could spend a sermon looking at each one of those things and looking at things that are going on in society. I, I'm not saying that Christ is going to come back today, but he could. Are we living like it? In the last days, there will be times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. They'll be without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. You know, and, and I read over that and I go, man, that, that just sounds a lot like today. And as, as, as things continue to get worse, as people continue to become greater lovers of self, more proud, and we could go on and on. I was reading through that. And I was thinking it very well could be today. We don't know when Christ is coming back. But as we read through that list, <laughs> we see a lot of it happening. But then I work down to the bottom of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You know, the days might be dark, but God's given us all we need. God's given us what we need to stand in the dark times. Things might continue to get worse. Persecution might grow, but God's given us all we need. Right? So after going through this list, at the end of chapter 3, all scriptures breathe out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So what I want to do before we go into this stuff today, because there's some, some heavy things that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks, is I want you to realize this, that there's victory found in Christ. That God's given us what we need to stand when the days are evil. By his spirit, he will give you the courage to stand strong for truth. 
The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, And you who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven, forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And remember this, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. There was tremendous victory on Calvary's cross. He disarmed them, he put them to shame. We remember in the dark days that nothing, that nothing can take us and separate us from the love of God. Who then shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that. Who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Understand that God has given you all you need to stand in the dark day. But I want you to hear me today when I tell you this. These battles that we fight require us to wholly rely on Him. Because of Jesus, we're more than conquerors. No matter what the day may hold, no matter how dark the day may be, through Christ, we can be victorious because He was and is victorious. So here's what I want to do. We're going to end today standing together and reading 1 Corinthians 15, 57 as one family, thanking God for the victory that we have in Jesus. And then we're going to sing a song at the end. And you probably can't guess which one we're going to sing. But it's over the victory that we have. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the victory that's found in Jesus. We thank you for the victory that's found in Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us to stand strong in the evil day, wholly relying on you, putting on the armor that you tell us to put on. May we trust in you. May we realize the great victory that you have, that the powers of darkness are not more powerful than you. The powers of the flesh are not more powerful than you. The powers of the world are not more powerful than you. Father, help us to surrender to the Spirit daily, to trust in you, to hope in you, and help us to remember that no matter how dark the day is, there is victory in Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing it. Mm -hmm.